Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. One, here we are, the Anarchist World This Week broadcast via the community radio satellite across the country, north to south, east to west, from Community Radio 3CR in Melbourne. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast if you have diarrhoea, need to evacuate your bladder, need to answer the door. Who knows what could happen in the next hour. The earth could come to an end. You never know. You're like in a big city. Well, what's anarchy, what is anarchy all about? An anarchist society is a society without rulers. Anarchos. Without rulers. Well, that's simple to say, isn't it? Without rulers. Obviously, because we're tainted with original sin, if there were no rulers, we would rape, murder and pillage each other, wouldn't we? Well, what I've noticed is when you do have rulers, that's what you get, rape, murder and pillage. So an anarchist society is an attempt to create a community where power is devolved, power is decentralised, because historically the more power is centralised in the hands of fewer and fewer people, the worse atrocities we see so power is also dependent on wealth as we see on a daily basis the more wealth you have the more options you have especially the options to control others and exploit them to augment your wealth so anarchism is a political social and cultural movement which wants to create a society without rulers not without rules and how do you do that you devolve power you hold wealth in common. End of story. Simple. Simple ideas, and obviously through the human history, we've seen examples of anarchist societies come and go, as we've seen examples of all types of communities come and go. And I call the 21st century the anarchist century. And why do I call it the anarchist century? Well, it's very simple. As populations grow... As resources become finite, and because we haven't got enough ships to all go to Mars to live under domes, 
what we need to do is we need to harness the energy of the 7 billion people on this planet to ensure we don't annihilate ourselves in the next 50 to 100 years because one thing about the history of planet Earth is species that kind of overpopulate, species that uh, don't live in harmony with the rest of planet tend to disappear. And sometimes they disappear rapidly, as we saw with the dinosaurs, after millions of years. All right, that's the philosophy. Let's get on with the bits and pieces. Now, look, there's a lot of bits and pieces Today, you're not going to get any scintillating analysis. You never do on the anarchist world this week. It's basically pedestrian stuff. But what's amazing, it's pedestrian stuff that um, we don't hear anywhere else. And I noticed that, uh, you know, that uh, One Nation is now gearing up to take over the world. And if you want an antidote to One Nation, you join public interest before corporate interest, the exact opposite. But that's another story which we'll talk about uh, later on. Now, privatisation in its various guises has been the linchpin of successive governments at the local, state and federal level economic cultural and social initiatives. The theory is very simple. In the, in the 18th and 19th century and the first half of the 20th century, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people across the globe lost their lives in the struggle to transform the state from an apparatus which violently suppressed the bulk of the population for the benefit of a few. I mean, that's been the traditional role of the state. In the 18th, 19th and 20th century, in the first half of the 20th century, up till the end of World War II, we saw various reformist and revolutionary movements force the state to take on the responsibility of looking after the basic needs of its citizens. And we saw the growth in the Western world of what could be described as mixed economies, where we had certain sections of the economy which was uh, owned and run by the private sector, and the more essential, ser more essential services and basic services uh, run by the state. Over the last 40 years during the privatisation, globalisation, corporatisation and deregulation revolution, which has swept not just Australia but most of the world, what we saw and what we are continuing to see is the blood, sweat and tears of generations of Australians and generations of people across the world being undone. And what we see is that the state is rapidly removing itself from the responsibility of looking after the needs of its citizens and outsourcing that responsibility to private organisations. And we've seen this in a variety of and we've seen this in a variety of ways. So what we have seen 
is the destruction of publicly owned facilities. Not just the destruction, but the giving away of publicly owned facilities to the private sector. For them to use to augment their profits. And profits aren't shared in a private organisation, not shared by the community as a whole, because as we know in Australia, private corporations are so powerful they pay voluntary taxation. What we see is people whose needs were looked after through the public sector, through the state, being sacrificed on the altar of Mammon for the glory and profit of the major shareholders and unaccountable corporations whose major responsibility it is to make ever-increasing profits for their major shareholders, irrespective of the human, social and national consequences of their actions. And that's what we see every day in the second decade of the 21st century. And this policy of privatisation has had profound impacts on an increasing number of people in Australia and an increasing number of Australians. And we see that in the statistical analysis. In 1975, for every dollar profit which was made by the private sector, two-thirds of that profit was returned to the workers who created that profit and one-third was returned to the investor. In 2016, of every dollar of private profit that is made, one-third is returned to the workers who make that profit for private corporations and two-thirds is returned to the corporation and its shareholders. So things have gone topsy-turvy in 40 years and we are seeing, we are reaping the benefits of 40 years of privatisation and deregulation and corporatisation and globalisation. We have been sowing seeds on barren ground and on every available statistical indicator, the gap in this country, the so-called egalitarian community, between the rich and the poor, those who have assets and those who doesn't, has exploded. And every day, every day, you listen to a local news item, watch some television news, listen to the radio, you hear stories about how that entrenched inequality continues to get wider and the social consequences of those policies. For example... The big question 
you know, which is uh, one of the big questions, I should say. One of the big questions. There's many big questions, obviously. Not many answers, but many big questions. Is increasing despair, psychiatric illnesses, disillusion, alienation, isolation, crime, family violence, interpersonal violence that we see in the 21st century. And much of this, not all of it, but much of this can actually be the causes can be driven, driven, can be pointed to as a result of the deregulation, privatisation, corporatisation, globalisation, revolution that has swept in this country. For example, it's simple. Not that I watch much TV, but every third ad on TV is for gambling, right? Look, I'm not a wowser. People want to gamble, they gamble. But what we've got now is an industry. Now, obviously, when you gamble, sometimes you win, most times you lose. Sometimes, occasionally, somebody wins big, but most people lose. And if you don't have much disposable income and you've got dreams and you gamble because you think that's the way you're going to find, you know, claw your way out of the situation you find yourself in, and that's a popular misconception among many people, you find that income that is needed for basic necessities, mortgage repayment, rent repayments, food, bills, kids' expenses, the list goes on and on, goes down the gurgler. Increasing tension within households, increasing dislocation, increasing family violence, increasing psychiatric issues. And this is a direct consequence of allowing this type of destructive industry to flourish. Direct consequence. And we can look at many fields of human endeavour and it's the same story. Housing. What we've seen in the last 40 years is the creation of an investment class. Not just a corporate investment class, but an investment class in Australian society where approximately 15% of the population have now become investors. And most of this investment is in real estate because there are taxation laws which allow investors to legally minimise their tax through negative gearing and if they invest in the stock market by offsetting their losses as a tax loss. And the list goes on and on. So now we have 15% of the Australian people who are part of this investment class who are supported by legislation which allows them, in a, in a significant proportion of cases, to legally minimise their tax to such an extent that there isn't enough money for anybody else. 
while at the other end of the scale, we have figures which say that almost a million children live under the poverty line in this country. That 33% of Australians are forced to survive on some type of social security benefit. That, 50, that 52% of workers under the age of 21 living in Ballarat, working in jobs, are underpaid. And the same figures you can extrapolate across the country. So you are seen as the investment class prospers, working people, especially wage earners and people on social security benefits, position, economic position and social position deteriorates. And it's a common story in every town, in every regional city, in every capital city, in every territory, in every state in this country. And nothing exemplifies this more than the current housing crisis. Because the whole purpose of creating an investment class in our society is to turn Australians from a land of home ownership to a land where people rent. And it's all right renting to some degree while you've got a job, but when you become unemployed or old, it's a different matter. And we are seeing a direct consequences of opening up the property market to for, for overseas investors and allowing the investment classes to claim tax deductibility on ownership of more than one property. What we've seen is the destruction of the concept of the post-World War II idea that affordable housing is a right, not a privilege. We have seen the underfunding, the deconstruction and the dismantling of the public housing sector in this country in every state, where initially the concept of public housing was the state to provide secure accommodation, not just people in desperate situations who are homeless, but provide accommodation for working families and individuals whose wages were so low they would never be able to enter the property market or afford private rental. And what we have today is a situation where the housing, and this is the key word, market, market, where the housing market has become so bloated, regarding the uh, desires and expectations of the investment class in this country, that we 
no longer are actually to provide, able to provide homes for each and every Australian. It's just, just not a matter of homelessness in the CBD or the major capital cities, but it's a matter of hidden homelessness everywhere. And to make matters worse, what we are seeing is state governments, especially the uh, Victorian state government, wash its hands of the responsibility of providing housing in an overheated market to an increasing number of people who can't, who are spending 50, 60, 70% of their income on rent or 50, 60, 70% of their income on mortgage repayments, although interest rates are at a historically low level, that we find ourselves in a situation where governments, Pontius Pilate-like, are washing their hands of the responsibility of providing housing and creating and passing legislation and building a public housing sector which would lead to decreasing rents at the lower end of the private housing market, allowing people to actually, you know, survive. Maybe the investment class has to take a cut in the money they receive. They're negatively gearing uh, would actually improve, wouldn't it? They get more tax deductions if rent's reduced. And we hear the story every day of young people and middle-aged people not being able to enter the housing market, not being able to actually afford the deposit, not being able to repay the mortgage. And obviously, it's not just a matter of having a roof over your head to keep the wind and the rain and the cold and the heat away. It's much, much more. It's about having secure, secure housing where you know you can send your kids to a particular school. You know they're not going to be uprooted. You know they're not going to be forced to go from school to school. You know they're going to get the best opportunities possible. You know that your children, because obviously you're not in the same situation as Malcolm where you can actually afford to buy a house for your kiddies, you know, actually have the possibility through hard work to enter the housing market. And the only way this can occur is through strengthening the public housing list by funding public housing, by building public housing. The stronger the public housing sector, the greater pressure placed on rents, the greater pressure placed on prices at the lower end of the market, the greater possibility of people being able to afford rental accommodation and actually begin that first step of home ownership. So a strong public housing sector benefits everyone. Not just those people who need public housing, but it benefits the rest of the community. It benefits every wage earner. The only, and even benefits investors, believe it or not, because although rents will decrease, their losses on their property increases, therefore they get greater tax deductions. It's extraordinary, isn't it? So why is the Andrews government in Victoria in the next few weeks, 
going to hand over 70% of public housing stock to private organisations. That's right. 70% of private how of public housing stock to private organisations, not just the right to manage that public housing stock, but hand over the titles, hand over taxpayers' money to private organisations. Some are not-for-profit, some are for profit, some are religious-based, some are not religious-based, some call themselves community housing, some call themselves affordable housing, some, you know, call themselves social housing. But the fact is that when these private organisations get their hands on the titles, they can buy and sell, they can enter into private partnerships with private organisations, they can increase rents, They decrease security in terms of Tennessee, and the list goes on and on. So two weeks ago, just two weeks ago, just two weeks ago, public interest before corporate interest was approached by sections of the public housing community to see whether we could help to bring this attention this issue to the public's attention. And we took on that mantle. We took on that mantle because we see that public housing, a mixed economy as far as housing is concerned, is fundamental, fundamental to decreasing rents and decreasing prices for home ownership, especially at the lower end of the market. And it's quite extraordinary that the Victorian Labor government is doing what the previous Liberal National Party government in Victoria could not achieve. They had 12,000 housing, public housing units ready for privatisation but didn't go ahead with it. Now this government, this government which is fixated on removing railway crossings and building tunnels has not allocated anything to the public housing sector. It wishes to absolve itself of the responsibility of looking after the housing needs of the people in the state of Victoria, as we see in New South Wales, although the decisions were reversed in Queensland with the election of the government there 18 months ago, which reversed the decision of the previous government to privatise all housing stock in Queensland. Because having a strong public housing sector that only ensures all Australians who cannot access the private housing market have access to affordable housing, it also places downward pressure on private rents and helps first-home buyers to enter the property market. Having a strong public housing sector that is owned and managed by state governments, helps to decrease crime and family violence as well as provide a stable, secure environment that gives children the opportunity to access educational opportunities they would not normally have have access to. And a strong public housing sector 
can be financed by using a proportion of the revenue raised by land tax. Because in Victoria, people who own more than one house pay land tax. And the stamp duty revenue has increased dramatically as property prices have increased in Victoria and the rest of the country. So why isn't a proportion of this money used to finance, own, build, extend public housing? So as I said before, two weeks ago we were approached and we've now formed a new organisation, Defend and Extend Public Housing. We're not just to want to defend what's there, we want to improve what's there, we want to extend what's there, we want to extend the concept that public housing or affordable housing is a right, not a privilege. And there are 88 members of the Legislative Assembly and 40 members of the Legislative Council who will make this decision in the next few months, who will have to decide whether they will continue to support the privatisation bandwagon. And our campaign is directly, directly fashioned in such a way as to put maximum pressure on the the Victorian Labor government to abandon its plans to privatise public housing. And this is a winnable, winnable debate. It is a winnable campaign, and I'll tell you why it's winnable. Because the Australian Labor Party in Victoria, at the state level, is coming under increasing pressure within the CBD of this city, within 15 kilometres of this city, where most public housing is still, uh, still available, is coming under increasing pressure from the Greens. And although Greens have been equivocal, the state branch of the Greens have been equivocal regarding this particular policy, they have now come out with a policy which opposes the privatisation of public housing. Now, the Greens' problem is very simple. They have never been able to attract working people and people on social security benefits to their bandwagon to any significant event. And if the Victorian Labor government is stupid enough under the housing minister, Mr Foley, to privatise 70% of the public housing stock, it is quite likely the Greens will pick up four, five, six, seven seats within 15 kilometres of the Melbourne CBD. They already have two, Paran and Melbourne. And why would they privatise 70%? of public housing stock. And the reason they publicise, they would privatise 70% of public housing stock is because they want to wash their hands of the responsibility of providing that service to the community. So public interest before corporate interest has now formed Defend and Extend Public Housing. And it is our initiative... It is this campaign will roll on 
till the next state election in Victoria in two years' time. And the first action we will be holding, and it's an action where we need your support, whether you live in public housing or not, this campaign affects you. If you rent, if, you, if you've got a mortgage, if you live in public housing, if you're homeless, this campaign affects you. Because what it does, it puts on the table, it puts on the political table that this is a central issue. We'll be holding our first rally this Thursday, the 20th of October, at 11.30am, from 11.30am to 1.30pm, on the steps of the Victorian State Parliament in Spring Street, Melbourne. We've got a bevy of speakers, bevy of speakers, who you can, uh, you know, you can hear. People from all walks of life. And there'll also be an, an open microphone for public housing tenants to actually express their opinions about what is happening. So if you haven't attended one rally, one demonstration this year, now is the time. And if you've got a similar problem in any other state, in any other territory in this country, it's time you followed our example and formed a similar organisation. We've already begun lobbying the parliamentarians. But more importantly than lobbying them, what we need to do is we need to show that Victorians are interested in this issue, that they're willing to come out in the streets in their thousands. And that's why we were approached. Because people from the public housing sector know we are capable of organising activities and more importantly, that we can form broad coalitions and we are looking for other groups to join this broad coalition to endorse this campaign. But most importantly of all, we are looking for your participation, your active participation. If you can't actively participate, at least get the message across to other people in this country. There's a few things you can do. You can go to the uh, Defend and Extend Public Housing Australia Facebook page. It's all there. Defend and Extend Public Housing Facebook page. Get involved. Get things moving. You can go to my personal Facebook page, Toscano, the number four, the public. In the next few days, we'll have a Defend and Extend Public Housing website where you can download material. You can go to the Pipsy website, pipsy.net, P-I-B-C-I dot net. Download the material. Send it to your friends. Send it to your enemies. This is a struggle we can ill afford to lose. It is a defining moment in this country's history. We're after 40 years of deregulation, privatisation, globalisation and corporatisation. Australians begin to say, as many people across the world are now saying, enough is enough. 
The state's sole purpose is not to maintain control for that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. The state's main responsibility should be to its citizens, should be to the residents of this country, to the people on this land. Now, as I said before, this campaign has been coordinated by public interests before corporate interests. But it is not our campaign. We are just part of a wider social, cultural, political movement that's had enough. Why would a so-called Labor government privatise 70% of public housing stock? And once you privatise it, there's no going back. When the Commonwealth Bank was privatised, it would take billions of dollars to create a new people's bank in this country. When Telstra was privatised and given away you know, to the private sector, it would need hundreds, tens of billions of dollars to create a new public sector. And the list goes on and on. Because what happens is 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years of blood, sweat and tears of ordinary people, of taxpayers, gets given away in a fire sale. And in the case of public housing stock in Victoria, actually given away to privately owned corporations who will then set their own parameters. And don't talk to me about this bullshit, total crap, that we'll have regulation where we actually have some effect on that sector. Look at the privatisation of technology education. Look at the privatisation of Medibank Private. Look at the privatisation of the Commonwealth Bank. Look at the privatisation of essential services across this country. Look at the effects of privatisation, you know, of uh, higher education. Look at the effects of partial privatisation of public hospitals. Look at the effects of the privatisation of welfare, of social security, of, of people having to look for work. Look at the effects. And the effects are very simple. That almost 50 cent in every dollar of public money which is given to these private corporations is lost in profit, profit, or wages, you know, to these private organisations. And what do we get in return? We are screwed constantly. Prices escalate. Options decrease and the list goes on and on. So don't tell me it's only the private sector that can actually run this country. This is a defining moment in our history as a people. This campaign is a defining moment which we can ill afford to give up. The problem is, for far too long, too many people in this society have believed the propaganda that private is best. For far too long, we have looked on as spectators as important public assets which provide essential, which provided essential services and infrastructure have been given away 
to unaccountable private corporations whose major responsibility is to create ever-increasing profits for their major shareholders. And if you want to take this one step further, I implore you to go to the PIBC website, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest, and download the application form to join public interest before corporate interest. Because not only are we involved in actions like Defend and Extend Public Housing, which we are now coordinating, we are also involved in a campaign to register a political party which will act as an antidote. That's right, an antidote to the rise of political groups, both parliamentary and ex-parliamentary, in this country who think the other is the enemy, who refuse, who refuse to envisage the idea that the main enemy that each and every one of us faces is not the person for different religious belief or a different skin tone or a different language or a different cultural practices but that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. And public interest before corporate interest is an inclusive group. Look at the application form. Join today. Download it now. You don't have access to a computer? Don't despair. You can send me a note to Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. That's right. You can email me at uh, pipsy.net, anarchistage at yahoo.com, anarchistage at yahoo.com. Think about it. If you can't join us on Thursday the 20th of October, if there's nothing organised in your part of the world, organise it. If, you can't, if you're in Victoria and you can't join us on the steps of Parliament House, this Thursday, 20th October, 11.30am, 1.30pm, bevy of interesting speakers, Kevin Healy, Sue Bolton, Steve Jolly, John Twegg, yours truly, and the list goes on and on and on and on with an open microphone. Two hours. Join us on Thursday the 10th of November. Same time, same venue. Go to the webpage, defendandextendpublichousing.com. Very simple, defendandextendpublichousing.com. Go to the Facebook page, Defend and Extend Public Housing Australia. Bingo. Get involved now. It's up to you. We can only do so much. Whether this campaign fails or succeeds, whether we stop the privatisation of 70% of public housing stock in Victoria, whether we increase the public housing sector, therefore putting downward pressure on rents, especially for uh, you know uh, smaller units and homes, cheaper units and homes, and downward pressure on prices, so that first home buyers can actually enter the uh, first home buyers market without actually going bankrupt. Now's the time. This campaign affects everybody. It even benefits the investment class who invest in real estate. Because if your rent's full, what's the problem? You can claim the loss on negative gearing. What a wonderful world we live in. Apologies, apologies to Shatsmo. What a wonderful world we live in. This is the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Truscoe. I'm hosting today's program. As I said before, you can go to anarchistmedia.org, pipsy.net, defendandextendpublichousing.com. The list goes on and on. Go to my personal Facebook page. I need friends, they tell me. Toscano for 
the public. We'll pop along tomorrow. I'll be uh, emceeing the rally on the uh, steps of Parliament House with the help of my uh, co-convener, Mr John Twigg. So, come along. If you can't come along, organise it in your part of the woods. You don't need a franchise. You don't need to telephone anybody. Be nice to let us know. Therefore, we can actually advertise what you're doing. All right, let's move on to something a little bit more esoteric, but it's important because in an era of increasing militarisation, if you think there's no increasing militarisation in Australia, think about all those, the agreement that's just been made regarding who's going to pay for all those US troops who are going to be billeted up in North Queensland, the time immemorial. Look at the sabre rattling that's occurring between the United States and China. And uh, just don't forget that China is Australia's biggest trading partner and that sooner or later we'll be asked to uh, make a decision. You know, the next 30 to 40 years, I won't be here, but hopefully many of our listeners will be here. You know, it's not going to be a pleasant time for Australians, especially as the militarisation ramps up. So I think what we should do is we should look at the past. Now, at midday... On Friday the 28th of October, here in Melbourne, we'll be gathering outside Story Hall RMIT, which is at Building 16, 336-348 Swanson. It's the top of end of the Swanson Street, not far from the uh, Melbourne Baths, not far from the Tundamanoi Marlborough Hina uh, Monument. And why? Why am I encouraging people to join us at midday on Friday the 28th of October? Well... During the hysteria of World War One, yes, World War One. Remember the big, 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 big hundreds of millions which were spent on celebrating Anzac Day last year in two thousand and fifteen. Well, there's not one cent of public money being used to commemorate a much more significant, much more significant day in the history of this country than Anzac Day. On the 28th of October 1916, the Australian people rejected conscription at plebiscites which were held around the country. The Hughes-led government, a coalition of uh, Labor deserters and National Party people, was so concerned of a mass general strike because the majority of the trade union movement opposed conscription and were so concerned about the possibility of revolutionary activity in the streets of Australia as we saw in Russia in 1917. They were forced to hold a plebiscite on the question of conscription. And they didn't hold that plebiscite because they wanted to. They held that, they called that plebiscite because they could not introduce conscription because of public opposition. And on the 28th of October 1916 and on the 20th of December 1917, the Australian people, to their credit, rejected plebiscites which wanted to sacrifice another 60,000 young Australian men on the European killing fields not in the fight for democracy or freedom or even our way of life, but to be sacrificed on the European killing fields with the glory of God 
king and country in a dirty little trade war which was fought by workers at either end of a bayonet. I don't think most Australians realise that out of a population of 5,400,000 Australian men and some women volunteered to fight in the Great War. 62,000 never came back. That's one in six never came back. Another 60,000 died of their wounds within a decade of returning home. And those that returned home were actually um, were actually rewarded by giving by given scrubland scrubland, you know, in the bush where most of the soldier settlements fail. And as I said before, fighting a little dirty little trade war for the glory of God, King and country, not democracy, liberty, or the defence of Australia. This is another historic moment because it demonstrates that not everybody gets caught up in the war, you know, with the dance of the war drums. And at midday on Friday the 28th of October, we'll be gathering outside Story Hall. Why Story Hall at RMIT, Building 16, 336 to 348 Swanson Street, Melbourne? Why? Because Story Hall was the headquarters of the Women's Peace Army in Melbourne. One week before the first plebiscite on the 28th of October, on the 21st of October 1916, the Women's Peace Army marched from Story Hall to the Yarra Bank in the largest anti-conscription rally held in Australia during World War One. Women activists address a crowd of over 80,000 people on that day. One in ten of every man, woman and child living in the city of Melbourne in 1916 attended that rally, an anti-conscription rally. If it wasn't for an anti-conscription coalition that included such diverse groups as the Radical Workers Group, the Industrial Workers of the World, the Roman Catholic Church led by Melbourne's Archbishop Mannix, women's group including the Women's Peace Army and a significant section of the trade union movement, it's no exaggeration to say another 62,000 young Australians would have died on the European killing fields and another 60,000 would have died of their wounds within a decade of returning home to Australia in a fight for the glory of God, King and Country. No exaggeration. Remember, 8,000 Australians lost their lives in one day in France. Faced with a revolt at home, the renegade Labor Prime Minister, who defected to the conservative side of politics, as I said before, was was forced to hold conscription plebiscites in 1916 and 1917. He failed both times. 
The anti-war movement won the day. They are not commemorated. They are not lionised. Nobody remembers them. Nobody remembers the great contribution they made to life in this country. And men, many men, women and children listening to the anarchist world this week now would not have been alive if their forebearers had been sent to that pointless war fought by workers at either end of a bayonet. The wholesale rewriting of the historical record by the state and conservative and reactionary elements in Australian society is designed to bolster the continuing important role nationalism and militarism plays in this country. By reclaiming our past, we are in a better position to understand what is happening in this country today. By bearing witness to what happened, we can ensure the unnecessary slaughter, and that's what it was, slaughter, that occurred in World War I will never happen again. So join us at midday on Friday the 28th of October, outside Story Hall, RMIT, Building 16, 336 to 348 Swanson Street, Melbourne. Want further information? Go to the Anarchist Institute website, anarchistmedia.org, anarchistmedia.org. Download the material. And don't forget the uh, hist- the defining the history defining defend and extend public housing rally tomorrow on the steps of the Victorian State Parliament. That's Thursday, the twentieth of October, eleven thirty a.m. to one thirty p.m. You've been listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via those nice people at the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. You can write to us at Post Office Box 20. Yes, we do still receive and answer letters. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You can ring me on 0439 395 489, 0439 395 489. may not answer you straight away, but I will get back to you within a day or two. 0439 395 489. Go to the Facebook page, Toscano for the number four, the public. Go to the Defend and Extend Public Housing Facebook page. Go to the Public Interest Before Corporate Interest Facebook page. Go to the websites, defendandextendpublichousing.com. Go to the website, PIPSI, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest.net website. Go to the Anarchist Media Institute website and learn about more about what we're doing. Next week, we'll be talking more about our Eureka celebrations. Everything is now being organised, finalised. Next week, we'll be able to tell you all about it. Get organised, get ready. The 3rd of December is on a Saturday. So if you are working, you've got no excuse, although it's a 4 a.m. start, but you don't have to start at 4 a.m. Thank you once again for listening to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station via the Community Radio Network. This program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Thank you once again to the Community Radio Network for broadcasting the anarchist world this week now. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of D-
death's construction. An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, Lord, yeah.